federal law called Public Law 86-272. And essentially, this public law prevents a state from enforcing an income tax on businesses whose only activity is just soliciting sales or sales into a state. So if you don't have people in a state, if you don't have property, if you don't have you know other activity that rises above solicitation, then you would be protected by PL 86272. If you have your inventory somewhere else and you're selling tangible products and not, for example, on service or other intangible income, then you can be protected by PL 86272. So even though California has that economic nexus threshold for sales, you still may have an exemption if your activity is limited to solicitation or just sales into the state. You are listening to US Tax, a podcast for Australian accountants with US clients. Welcome to update 24 of US Tax about Californian state taxes. This is Heide Robson. In the last update, we looked at US state taxes in general across the states. Today, let's look at California in particular. What state taxes does California charge? Francis Ellington of GHJ in Los Angeles will give you a very helpful insight and especially listen out for Francis discussing public law 86272. That law might exempt your clients from Californian state income tax if they don't have a warehouse in California. It doesn't exempt them from their filing obligations, but from the actual income tax. Possibly. There have been some law changes, but still listen out for public law 86272 so that at least you are aware of the issue. For state income tax purposes, using California as an example, we have filing requirements for individuals, for corporate entities, as well as for LLCs or partnership entities, even single-member LLCs. But typically for the LLCs or flow-through entities, it's more of an informational return because the ultimate income tax is paid either in the individual or the corporate owner's return. For federal taxes? Yes, and for state tax purposes. So for state income taxes for individuals, it really matters where you're a resident or where you have source income. So, for example, if you're a California resident, like you clearly have an income tax obligation, or if you spend time working in California, or if you receive a California K-1 or other California source income, then you would have an individual California state income tax filing requirement. Does that make sense? Yes. So, you have two factors basically to consider. Basically, like federal tax as well, you have to look at residency and For federal purposes, residency is, it doesn't really matter so much residency, correct? For federal tax purposes, it's more whether you are a U.S. person or not. You either have a U.S. passport or a green card or not. You're either a company that has been established in the U.S. or not. So there it's not so much about residency. But of course, within the states, from state to state, then of course it comes down to residency, correct? Yes, and it's interesting because sometimes we have situations even with individuals where there's a residency consideration or a treaty that comes into play. But for example, for California, we don't follow federal tax treaties. 
So it would be based on the California rules. If you had California source income, if you spent time earning income in California, that would determine your filing requirement, regardless of what your federal requirement was. However, there are other states that do follow federal tax treaties. California is just not one of them. What is a federal tax treaty? Do you mean the uh, treaty between the, the United States and other countries? Yeah. The double tax agreements, basically. If you are covered by a double tax agreement, then some states won't charge you state income tax because they will honor the double tax agreement, but then other states don't. And so California, for example, is one where they don't. So even if you don't have to pay federal income tax because of the treaty, you might still have to pay Californian state income tax. That's what you're saying, correct? Mm-hmm. So for... State income tax, you have two factors. You have residency and you have source of income. And then you possibly also have the treaty for states that consider the treaty. For California, that doesn't apply. For most states, that probably doesn't apply. So you have residency and source of income. Yes, and kind of just looking at it separately for corporate tax purposes, obviously some of the factors that we talked about earlier come into play. So for corporate tax purposes, it matters if you have nexus, right? So that could be a physical presence or it could be economic nexus, even for California income tax purposes. The nexus we discussed for sales taxes, they also apply to state income tax? So there are different rules. The sales tax nexus rules have very low thresholds, such as the transaction threshold we talked about earlier. For income tax purposes, Most states will just require a physical presence requirement to require a tax return or even source income that needs to be reported. There are a handful of states for income franchise tax purposes that have an economic nexus threshold as well, such as California, such as Texas, such as Tennessee. And then I think Massachusetts and Pennsylvania are now have some economic nexus rules as well as New York. So it's definitely becoming more popular for income tax, franchise tax to have economic nexus rules, but it's not as broad as the economic nexus for sales tax. All states or most states are based on physical presence. And if it was just about physical presence, then you would put your warehouse into a state that doesn't have state income tax. And there are nine states that don't have state income tax, and they are Alaska, Florida, Nevada, New Hampshire, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Washington, and Wyoming. If it was just about physical presence, then you would put your distribution center into one of these nine states. It's a little bit more complicated because while some of these states don't have income tax obligations for individuals, Tennessee, Texas, they both have franchise tax for business entities. Uh, Washington has a gross receipts tax for business entities. Florida has a corporate tax for business entities. Nevada has a gross receipts tax. So I would just caution that you might see no income tax, but that might be O for individuals, but there still may be many other implications for operating a business or selling into those jurisdictions. Gross receipts tax, isn't that sales tax? Uh, it's a little bit different. So the state of Washington has had a gross receipts tax for a long time. Newer gross receipts taxes are in states like Ohio and Oregon. And these are taxes that essentially are assessed on the entity, but on gross receipts for receipts either sourced to that jurisdiction or in the case of tangible property for goods that are shipped to that jurisdiction. So for example, for Washington, 
the threshold is quite low. It's like for sales tax. So if you have 100,000 of gross receipts sourced to Washington or for Washington-based customers, then you can have an obligation for what they call their business and occupations tax. And the interesting thing about Washington is gross receipts tax is different from a sales tax because you can't pass it on to your customer. But the gross receipts tax can also be on services. So, for example, if you have, if you're doing consulting services and your customer is located in Washington and you're generating over $100,000 of revenue during an annual period, then you could trigger your a Washington business and occupations tax obligation. Okay, so sales tax is based on sales. Hence, if, for example, you have a property in a state and you don't have sales, you just have rental income, then this wouldn't trigger sales tax, but it could still trigger gross receipts tax because gross receipts is basically just any money you make, whereas sales tax is basically just about sales to end consumers. Correct. Correct. And, and even with Washington, for example, wholesale entities would be subject to the gross receipts tax. So it's just exactly. important to kind of understand that's more broad. And so gross receipts tax is actually worse than income tax because with income tax, you can claim a tax deduction. Gross receipts tax would basically just be on your total sales. Yes. Good. So it's actually worse, not better. And then also the difference is that sales tax is actually charged to the consumer whereas gross receipts tax is borne by the business. Of course, indirectly, it's also charged to the consumer, but it's not listed on the receipt as such, correct? Correct. You corrected me before when I said there are nine states with no income tax. You, you corrected me and you listed quite a few that actually have gross receipts tax, etc. Can you list a state that doesn't have neither gross receipts tax nor state income tax? So I think Wyoming is, is probably an example, but again, it really just, it, it's, particular because some of these states may not have something for income tax or may not have something for individual or corporate income tax, but then may have a, a franchise obligation or a gross receipts tax. So it's a little bit tricky, but there are a couple states. Yeah. Are there states that are particularly popular with overseas businesses to have their distribution center in to avoid state income tax and gross receipts tax? I would say Nevada and Texas in Florida are all very popular. Um, even though Nevada and Texas have gross receipts or, or franchise taxes and Florida does have a, a corporate tax, usually those jurisdictions are preferable from a logistical perspective. So it makes sense. It's less costly to ship from there. And then even though they have technically a gross receipts or franchise tax or something there, it's not much. So it's not to the extent of something like California or New York, something with a much larger tax burden. So if you're weighing up between having your distribution center in California or Florida or Nevada or Texas, avoid California, go for one of those three, Nevada, Florida or Texas. Or yeah, Wyoming. I would definitely avoid California. And another reason for that is from a corporate tax perspective, and I don't want to get too technical here, but there's something called a throwback rule. And that essentially means that if you're shipping your inventory from California to a jurisdiction that you're not taxed in, so for example, Nevada, Colorado, Georgia, any other state where you're not filing tax returns, you essentially have to count those sales as California sales. So it's easier if you set your inventory up in another state that doesn't have a throwback rule because then you can source your sales outside of the state and you don't have to worry about additional tax liability or 
obligations coming back into a state like California, just because you have inventory there. Yes. Okay, good. So avoid distribution centers in California at all costs. <laughs> yeah, it's ideal. Yes. Now, coming back to the economic nexus. So let's say we put the distribution center into Nevada or Florida or Texas, and we sell into California. Is there then an economic nexus that might still raise a Californian state tax if we don't have any inventory in California? So the throwback rule wouldn't apply to us, but would we still, under the economic nexus, be liable for California state income tax or, or Texas or Massachusetts or Tennessee or Pennsylvania? Those ones are the ones you listed as having an economic nexus now for state income tax. Yeah. So it's a great question, and there's another element to this specifically for income tax purposes, and it's a federal law called Public Law 86-272, and essentially this public law prevents a state from enforcing an income tax on businesses whose only activity is just soliciting sales or sales into a state. So if you don't have people in a state, if you don't have property, if you don't have, you know, other activity that rises above solicitation, then you would be protected by PL 86272. 72? Is it 86272? Yes. Okay. That's correct. And the reason that's important is because California does have an economic nexus threshold. For example, it's indexed based on inflation each year, but in the recent years, it's been around 660,000 of gross receipts into California. So, for example, if you are a business and you have, say, royalty income or service income and you have California customers related to that revenue over that threshold, then you could have an economic nexus filing requirement in California. Good. But if you have your inventory somewhere else and you're selling tangible products, And you ship, say, 700,000 of gross receipts into California customers, but your revenue is only based on tangible products and not, for example, on service or other intangible income, then you can be protected by PLA 86-272. So even though California has that economic nexus threshold for sales, you still may have an exemption if your activity is limited to solicitation or just sales into the state. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. I, I was going to say for other states, they may or may not follow PL 86-272. For example, for franchise tax purposes, that rule is based specifically on a net income tax for taxpayers with tangible property. So Texas, for example, isn't a net income-based tax. So you could still have economic nexus in Texas without that protection that California would provide. Okay, so is it a choice whether you apply PL 86-272? It's not a choice. It's just that franchise tax is a different tax, and hence PL 86-272 is for income tax, and franchise tax is not an income tax, hence you don't have the protection from that public law, correct? Exactly. So I, I would say if, if taxpayers fit the requirements, then you would probably want to use that exception. But generally speaking, we have to follow the rules. So most likely, you know, unless you had the, the exemption that applied, that you would be subject to tax. You mentioned that franchise tax is usually a flat amount, usually not that high. Hence, franchise tax is usually not as much something we need to worry about, correct? Franchise tax is kind of interesting. So 
in certain jurisdictions, so for California, even though it's kind of a net income tax return, there is a franchise tax component that's an $800 minimum fee. So if your tax is over the $800 and you just pay that, otherwise there would be an $800 minimum fee that we call the franchise tax. For other states, more like states in the Southeast, for example, like Georgia, Alabama, other states have franchise tax as part of their income tax return. And those taxes are typically based on capital stock or other like non-income factors that relate to the jurisdiction. So it could be a sourced amount based on a level of activity in those jurisdictions. But again, it would be non-income based. Typically what happens is on the return, you look to whether the income tax base or the franchise tax base, which could be just be a minimum fee or a small amount, is higher. And you may end up paying both, but usually the franchise tax is, is minimal in those other jurisdictions. I will say that Texas is different because Texas is just purely a franchise tax. So it's a whole nother regime. But generally speaking, franchise tax is just a very small element or minimum fee of other state tax returns. Welcome back. So in California, you have sales and use tax, income tax, franchise tax, and then a range of local taxes. In the next update, update number 25 of US tax, let's talk about Californian sales and use tax with Edwin Antelin of Vallejo Antelin Agarwal Kenta, or in short, VAC, in Walnut Creek, California. Until then, thank you for listening. Bye for now and see you in the next update. <music>